0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at Nielsville.org. As you know, we, in, the, in the first three chapters of Hosea, we've been talking about God's relentless love, how His love for us, He pursues us no matter what. And this morning we're going to look at, and probably going forward, we're going to look at some hard passages. Uh, uh, detailed passages of how God's people forsake the Lord and the consequences that that had on them and the coming judgment that they may experience. But with that in mind, as we even evaluate that in our own lives and how, how we sometimes run from God and how we sometimes uh, do our own thing and not consider God, I want us to remember this. If you're in Christ, these are words true to you. How great, how sure his love endures forevermore. Magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. So keep that in mind as we wrestle with this text in Hosea 4. Because in this section of prophecy that we're about to read, it resembles a prosecutor making a case in court. This prosecutor prosecutor is detailing specific charges and the consequences and the corresponding practice uh, penalties that, are, that, that, are, that await them if they do not repent. And through this all, Israel is addressed, but we need to understand that the priests are highlighted as well. So let's hear what the Lord has to say to God's people in Hosea 4. Follow along as I read. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bonds, bloodsheds follow bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away." Yet let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge, and I reject you for being, being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children." The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And and it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat and not be satisfied. They will play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord. To cherish, whoredom, and wine and new wine which take away they understanding my people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their god to play the whore they sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burnt offerings on the hills under oak and poplar and terebinth, because their shade is good therefore your daughters play the whore and your wives commit adultery I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor the brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Not in, not, enter not into Gilgad, and nor not go up to Beth-Avon. And swear not, as the Lord lives, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave them alone. When they, their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its rings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Let's pray. Father, these are very challenging words to hear. And yet these are your very words to people that you dearly loved. Father, we have seen in, in chapter 1, in chapter 2, and chapter 3, your relentless, boundless love for your people. We've been reminded of that. You love us in how you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to love us in such a radical, relentless way. And yet, Lord, sometimes there is grace even hearing hard words like these. And so, Lord, help us to find you in the midst of these words. Help us to to rest more securely in this relationship that you have established us in Christ as we look through this text this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been invited to a party with the theme, Let's Confess Your Idols to One Another? Uh, Probably not. It's not on your bucket list, right, of parties that you would want to attend. But many people, you know, I know in my own life have spoken about the idols of my heart, the struggles you have with sin. I hang around people who talk about that. That's my profession. I'm a a biblical counselor. I'm a pastor. I'm often talking about how those things that rule our hearts come into play in our lives. But we often don't have parties for that, do we not? We often don't have broad discussions about that. Maybe we should. I don't know but we do know that the worship of idols of finding our significance in anything other than the triune god through a relationship with christ can greatly impact our soul impact our lives and the lives of others hosea 4 god asked hosea to expose the idols of his people in fact these are charges that are in a legal proceeding And he does that to help them see the upcoming sentence due to their guilt and forthcoming judgment if they do not repent. You see, God's love is so relentless for his people that he will say hard things to us to help us to return, to repent, to be restored. So this morning, I want us to focus on four Ps. The problem, verses 1 to 3. The priest, verses 4 and 9. The path verses 10 through 14, and the pain, verses 15 through 19. Once again, God is revealing his plan to Hosea by granting him knowledge of illegal deliberations in the heavenly court. We are invited into that scene this morning. We're in a heavenly court where God is laying out his case against his people, and we see that in verses 4, 1 to 3. As the opening verse indicates, God summons Israel to court because he has a charge. This translation has a controversy. Another translation says has a charge to bring against them. It's a technical term for a lawsuit. So God is bringing charges against God's people. What are these charges that God is bringing to his people what is the problem that God's people are facing as a result of these charges first of all the first charge is a lack of faithfulness the land the society during that time was in need of faithfulness the Hebrew Hebrew word includes such the idea of accuracy of sincerity of of reliability of faithfulness and as well as steadfastness It is often used of God's faithfulness as used about his, his own truthfulness and fulfilling his promises and his loyalty to us. This was also to be true not only of God, right, but also of his people because we're created in his image. We are to be faithful to one another. We're to be true to our word. We're to be reliable and steadfast. This was not happening during that time among God's people. They lacked faithfulness, charge number one. Charge number two is that they lack kindness. See, the land was also not, was in need of kindness and mercy. In fact, the Hebrew word here is hesed. It's a powerful word. It often means a covenant love, a devoted love that God has for his people. It's a devotion that we're to have for one another as it relates to, to uh, humanity. And see, instead of God's people modeling a safe, secure society, we see in this passage that they turned their society into a den of lust and of violence. They lacked God's people, God's people lacked faithfulness. They lacked mercy and kindness. And we also see they lacked the knowledge of God. See, the lack of faithfulness and the lack of kindness really is due to the lack of their knowledge of God. The land was in need of the knowledge of the one true God. You see, they have known this in the past, and yet they they decided to forsake growing in the relationship with the Lord. They did not want to know God because they felt that these other things that they were going to, the worship of Baal, and the results of that was giving them more satisfaction. See, they did not have the proper understanding. They didn't have the wisdom or the spiritual insight of one who belongs to God. Because God is the provider of understanding. He is the giver of wisdom and of spiritual insight. We see throughout the Bible that God reminds us, you shall have no God but me. It was I who know you, it is I who pursue you in the land in the wilderness, in the land of the drought. See, this last charge gets to the heart of their disobedience, an absence of God in the pursuit of him. And we see in verses two and three the effects of these charges. What happens if there's lack of faithfulness, lack of kindness, and lack of the knowledge of God? They break all of the Ten Commandments, right? And basically, this is a summary of the Ten Commandments. Swearing, using God's name in blasphemous ways. Again, showing their rebellion and godless heart. No respect for God. They were lying, speaking, and practicing falsehood to one another. That's what's going on among God's people. He's not talking about the society. He's talking about God's people, that they're lying to one another. They're killing one another. There's all kinds of civil violence, murder, oppression, and abuse. They're stealing from one another. They're privileging the property of one another. They're taking things that don't belong to them. They're committing adultery in the sake of worship, as a worship of, of Baal. They were they're they're doing sexual immorality and it led the society to commit all kinds of sins sexually there was unrestraint it's an anything goes permissive society and there's no right or wrong going on here there was bloodshed and what's interesting there was a marred creation look at verse three sins have major consequences and will bring disaster if we continue to sin in those ways Disobedience affects the created world we live in, right? We see that in the many wars that are going on today. We see that in how we care for the environment. We see it how we treat one another in abusive ways. We, when we turn our attention and trust away from the one true God through Jesus Christ and we put it onto other things, it radically affects all of life. Now, in each of these Ps, I want to give us some gospel hope. Because we can bear down and like, oh, wow, we're really messed up, right? The God's people during that time were messed up. And sometimes we can look at our own lives and we can say, yeah, we are very messed up. But there's good news, even as we hear this hard news. And it is this verse 3. Because verse 3 reminds us of something else. It says, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. But verse 3, as we know as Christians, will one day be restored. See, the effects of sin at creation, of all creation, is seen from the time of the fall when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. And since then, many of the prophets spoke of the earth mourning, as does the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, about how the earth is mourning for its consummation. There will be a consummation for those who are in Christ. When Jesus comes and establishes a new heavens and a new the earth, and it will affect the fall, and it will be reversed. Effects of the fall will be reversed. And creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. That's the good news for us. As we, as we see what's going on in this, during this time, we have the hope because of Christ that one day the creation will be reversed and restored and renewed. On that last day, through this work of Jesus, all of creation will become beautiful, kind, productive, and easy to live in. As I was hearing um, Jerry share at Sunday School this morning, I was, I was reminded of what are we, when we, we who are redeemed, we who have been redeemed in Christ, that even though we have this curse right now and that one day it will be restored, we can be participants of re- this redemption. We can be participants of renewing a culture in Zambia, they have, they're reaching all kinds of people, medical clinics that, that are saving babies' lives and mothers' lives. They're treating people with HIV and helping them to see another way. They're making a difference. They're showing what, what it's pointing us to the great redemption that we have one day in the new heavens and the new earth. They're a model of that for us today, that we too are to participate. Where are we being a people that are redeeming the society in which we live? We have that because we belong to Christ. So we see the problem. And now Hosea turns his attention to those who primarily led God's people to unfaithfulness, our second P, the priest. Look at verses 4 and 9. Now there's much discussion on verse 4, and I will not spend any discussion on it. But whatever the biblical scholars have landed, Verse six removes all doubt that God's chief target that led to his charges is, are the priests or modern day clergy or pastors. See, it is the priests in their neglected capacity as teachers, as spiritual educators who are now under fire. Priests in Hosea day were to teach God's law. They were to offer sacrifices in a right and proper way. And they failed miserably during this time. In fact, one of the primary roles of the priest is to act as a mediator and to fulfill the priestly requirements in Leviticus contained in the law in Leviticus. But not only did they fail to teach God and his, and, and his word, we see in verse 7 that they pursued prosperity. They pursued riches instead of righteousness. See, prosperity can easily breed a spirit of independence from God. And this was what was happening with the priests. They loved and depended upon money more than God. My son the other day showed us this video of a pastor who was trying to get money. And he, he, laid, on, he laid on the altar as, his, as he was dead. And he wasn't going to be risen from the dead until he realized, he thought that he had enough money. And if until he got enough money that they, he wanted to get every ounce of money from the congregation. Now, we're not asking you to do that on our budget season. Not at all. But it shows how that one man, that pastor was, was manipulating and controlling for his own benefit to try to get money from his people. See, these priests were leading God's people away from the covenant-keeping God. And they were concerned more, more than than then leading them to, to God, they were, they were more concerned about how much I can get financially from it. And so, so Hosea, God is, through Hosea is holding them to a higher accountability. Sadly, their personal failure we see in this passage also lead to family being gravely affected. There will be constant not only for the priests but for their families, God's word says here. If, do they, if they do not repent. And we have seen this throughout biblical history. We see the corruption of the priests and they play a significant factor in Israel's downfall. Again, why is, why is Hosea, why is God so severe on the priests? Because God's people, God's leaders, pastors and teachers, priests, clergy, pastors, are to lead people to God, to Jesus. And when they're not, They're doing much damage to the church. That's a sobering warning for me and for teachers and pastors of God's word. Pastors do much damage to the church and what we preach and how they lead. If this pastor, if any other pastor, is is not teaching and leading people to Jesus, get rid of them. We need to ask, is this pastor leading people in humility and in righteousness? Is this pastor pointing people to Jesus and helping them to experience the grace of this relentless God, of helping them to see the love that God has for us in Christ? We need to evaluate our leaders leading me to Jesus. Again, what is the gospel glimpses? What is our gospel hopes here? Well, the good news is that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, God established men of the priest. This sacred office was established for the purpose of pointing people to their need for a better priest. The one who would fulfill all the priestly requirements contained in the law. And there's only one person who did that. And that is Jesus Christ. When all the other Old Testament pastors miserably failed, Jesus graciously succeeded. Listen to what the scriptures say about Jesus. Jesus who was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sins, exalted above the heavens, and whose sacrifice of himself sufficed once for all. Following Christ's perfect, and complete sacrifice, there is now no more need for the Levitical priesthood. Now in its place, in a sense, expands it, is the priesthood of believers. What does First, First Peter reminds us? We all are, if you're in Christ, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We now are able To help one another grow in their faith. And people to help me grow in our faith because of Christ. That wasn't happening during that time. But now because we're in Christ, we have that potential. The problem. The priest. The path. Look at verses 10 to 14. Because of the priest's disobedience and leading people astray, it led to a disastrous path. See, the nature and outcome of idol worship are revealed clearly in this section. The priests have led the people to a path of idolatry. Verse 10 is very clear, too, of the consequences of this fertility of seeking idols. What does it say? They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall eat and not be satisfied. We think, These things that we pursue other than God satisfy us. It may not be sex. It may not be alcohol. It may not be the big things out there. But we all have the potential to go after things other than God. It could be fame. It could be comfort. It could be our family. It could be work. There's many things that can interfere in our heart's struggle in finding satisfaction in Christ and God. But... God is very clear in verse 10. They shall eat but not be satisfied. Friends, that's a warning for us, is it not? That if you're trying to pursue significance, satisfaction, your delight, and other things, they will not delight. They will not satisfy. We are designed to get our satisfaction ultimately in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, idols never deliver what they promise. Those things that we are seeking other than a true God will never deliver what we think they promise. They can never truly satisfy. Right? They were looking, they were taking it out on whoredom and drunkenness and and pursuit of Baal. And God is saying, no, they will not satisfy. See, God, out of his love for us, is willing to say hard things to us, to expose us of those false gods, and to help us to see if we are worshiping these idols, how futile futile, and ludicrous it is. See, the good news is it reminds us. That as, as, as Hosea is revealing this to God's people, that these things do not mean, will not last, will not satisfy. There's something else that does satisfy, and that is God. And for us, we know that is in Christ. See, if you want lasting, real, genuine satisfaction, it is in Jesus Christ. See, unlike the idols that take away understanding and bring shame, As it talks about in this verse, Christ came in order that we may have life and have it abundantly. I love what St. Augustine says, right? St. Augustine didn't, he was, he's a great theologian, but before that, he spent his life living and wild living, sexual sins galore. He experienced everything. And what does he say? When he came to know Christ, he says this. As God gave him understanding, as he pursued God, he said, as he, Augustine said this, our hearts are restless. Listen, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Your hearts will be restless. My heart will be restless until we find our rest in God. So, friends, what are those idols you need to bring to God this morning? What are those unrepented sins that are leading to more sin to the point where all bounds are broken and leisure open to further brokenness and destruction? Unchecked sin leads to increased desire for which is enslavement of the worst kind and to other shame and at no time severe consequences and discipline. See, as we see here, increased desire for sin is the beginning of God's discipline on the sinner. And again, God has given us his word as a means of grace. He's letting them know very clearly, if you continue this path, it's not going well for you. But at least he's trying to open their minds. He's helping them to see so that they will not continue that path. Are there people here this morning, me included, Are there areas in my life that I am blinded to that this word this morning reminds us, no, I have something better. I have Jesus I can wrestle with and I can ask for help in my struggles. I remember many, many years ago, I was listening, uh, and I think it was a small group at that time, uh, of a man, successful businessman, Christian, Wealthy, millionaire, had it all. From the outside, perfect family, perfect kids. But life became hard for him and he began to become addicted to cocaine. And as he became addicted to cocaine, he began to then participate in illicit sexual pursuits. And as he continued that downward path, even as a Christian, as he continued that downward path, he found himself homeless. And as he was sharing his story, He found himself homeless in Baltimore City, and he found the Helping Up mission. And as he was in this Christian homeless community where they were dealing with sexual addictions and alcohol addiction, all sorts of addictions, in that time he found Christ. That doesn't mean life was good for him the rest of his life, no. But he realized money, the perfect family, sex wasn't the true satisfaction for his soul he was learning to find his rest in christ now maybe your idols are not as dramatic as this man but again we all wrestle with competing things in our relationship with god and they do impact our lives for him he never got restored to his wife but god in his grace enabled him to get restored to his children See, God desires to help us to turn from our destructive ways and to lead us into our lasting, life-giving relationship in Christ. The problem, the priest, the path, the pain, verses 15 and 19. This section says to the southern kingdom of Judah, now remember the main audience of Hosea is the northern kingdom of Israel but he wants the southern kingdom to beware. Do not follow the path of the the northern kingdom. He is saying to the the southern kingdom of Judah, keep your distance from Israel. He's drawing a sharp contrast between the conditions of Israel and the conditions of Judah. Israel was guilty of being unfaithful to God, but God merely warned Judah not to become like northern Israel. Because if you do, it'll end in ruin. See, for Israel, they were on a collision course with the judgment of God, the coming of the Assyrian armies to destroy their nation. But it didn't have to be that way. God was pleading with them as he pleads with us to turn from your idols, to turn from our sins, and to come to me and find life. So the question for us here, this church in Germantown in 2019 and 2020. Where are we with God? He has given us evidence that he is actively and intimately present through Christ. He's in your conscience. He's he's working in the world around us. He's working in your own lives. Do you know him? Do you know this covenant-keeping, relentless, faithful lover of your soul? If so... Continue or begin seeking him and enjoying this satisfying relationship that only he can provide. I love what C.S. Lewis says, and I'll end here, that captures this idea of this poem, of this section of scripture. It gives us a potent glimpse at my own thoughtful idols. C.S. Lewis writes, Thoughts are but coins. Let me not trust instead of thee. Their thin worn image of thy head. From all my thoughts, even from my thoughts of you, O thou fair silence, fall and set me free. Lord of the narrow gate and the needle's eye, take from me all of my trumpery, lest I die. Oh, Father, may we all pray that. Take those things that are competing with our allegiance to you. Take them lest we die. Take them so we do not face hard consequences. Take them because we know that you are the faithful lover of our soul who delights to work with us and to satisfy us and to sanctify us and to grow us in the grace of the gospel. Father, these words remind us that you are not giving up on us. You are not giving up on the covenant of God of Israel then. You are giving those words for a purpose, for a means to get their attention, to help them to repent, to restore them back to this love relationship that you had with them. Father, help us to take seriously those sins that we struggle with and help us to know that we have an advocate who is helping us to deal with that and the, and, and the power to know that we can rest in this God, who's given us his all, his very own beloved son, that we could taste and see that you are good. Because help us to see that anything that we're trying to seek other than you does not satisfy. Oh, Jesus, help us, we pray. Amen. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.